Thank you for downloading this podcast of the Sunday Sermon. The Sunday Sermon podcast is a ministry of the Westerville Free Will Baptist Church located in Westerville, Ohio. And my name is Paul Ederling, and I am the pastor of the Westerville Church. And I would like to invite you to find out more about our church by visiting www.westervillechurch.org. And then also, if you would just take a moment uh, wherever you download your podcast to rate and and comment on our podcast that will help us to be more easily discovered um, in the podcast world. And now let's join the message. Romans chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we could to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin... Members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord to us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough and being kind enough to us to give us your word. Thank you, Father, that these are not just words for another academic exercise just to learn something new, but these are words to help us to learn more about you and to grow in our relationship with you. And as we consider the subject before us this morning, Lord, would you help us to understand where you are taking us, help us to understand how we are to respond, and Father, would you give us grace to make that response, and we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen, and amen. We've been talking about matters of the heart or issues of the heart. And in the first two messages, 
I talked to you, we, we, we looked from Scripture at the subject of the sufficiency of the Scriptures. One of the reasons we believe in the sufficiency of the Scriptures is because we believe that God has given us in the Scriptures everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Any issue of life that we face, in some way God has addressed it. Now, he may not address it in black and white in explicit terms, but there are principles and there are truths in Scripture that apply to almost anything and everything that we face in this life. And so we talked about the sufficiency of the Scripture, and then last week we began talking about the sufficiency of the gospel. All too often, I think it is the mindset of many people that the gospel is to be presented to an unsaved person to bring them to Christ, and we leave it there. But in reality, when you look at the gospel in all of the New Testament, the gospel has implications for every aspect of the way we live our lives. The gospel is not just about being saved, but it's also about being sanctified, which we introduced last week in our message. The word sanctified just simply means that you've been set apart. And in, in setting you apart, God set you apart from your life of sin. He, he set you apart into a new way of living that is focused on Christ, focused on holiness, and that we are to live in that way. And I find it interesting that in this passage before us, Paul is really beginning to talk about sanctification how we're to live like Christ, how we're to live in holiness. But before he gets there, he has spent the first section of the letter setting up for us how sinful we are, how great of a Savior Christ is, and now he's coming to the point of saying, and this is how you need to live. Let me walk you through that for just a moment so that you'll understand where we are. Let me just give you the definition of the gospel again for just a moment, especially to refresh our memories and for those who may not have been here last week. The gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take time this morning to go through all of last week's message. It's online. You can go download it on your podcast, wherever you get podcasts from. You can download it from last week and listen to that. But the gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So in other words, Jesus is the gospel. And what this means to us is that there is a holy God who has provided us the help and hope that we need in Jesus Christ. You were helpless before a holy God. You had no hope before a holy God. But that same holy God the God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, the God of the church, that same God acted on our behalf in Jesus Christ to offer help and hope to us. So when we talk about the gospel and the sufficiency of the gospel, we're really talking about Christ and the good news that he brings in bringing us help and hope to be reconciled with God the Father, to be forgiven of our sin. Now, I want you to notice in the letter to the Romans, let me just walk you through this to help you understand just a little bit. In chapter 1, 
verses 1 to 17, Paul opens the letter to the Romans with a salutation. Now, it's, it's an important salutation. Don't overlook too quickly the salutation to this letter. And the reason it's important is because when you get to verses 16 and 17, here's what Paul had to say. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And in verse 17, he goes on to say, for it, the gospel, is the righteousness of God And it is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So if what we said earlier today during our catechism is true, and it is, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, here is Paul saying to the Romans, here's the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is is by faith that the righteous will live. And it's because of the gospel, uh, the faith that we put in Christ, that we can live a righteous life. Well, when you move into the next section of verses 18 of chapter 1 down through chapter 3, verse 20, quite a large section, it is there that Paul begins to show us how sinful we are. And remember I said last week that when you think about our sin... It's the picture of an archer. He's pulling back his bow. He's ready to aim at the target. He's ready to release at the target. And when he does, the target is way out there and the arrow drops right here. It falls drastically short of the glory of God. It falls drastically short of God's holiness and who he is. And so in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul begins to show us how sinful We really are. Then when you move, and one of the key verses there is is verse 10 of chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Again, notice the word righteous. That seems to be a theme here for Paul in the letter to the Romans. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. And let me just remind you again that you only began seeking for God because he comes seeking for you first. It is because you came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life that you began to realize that there was a change that needed to be made in your life. And then as you move from verse 21 of chapter 3 through verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul then begins to explain this great Savior that we have and the salvation that we have. And one of the key verses there, again, I've already alluded to this, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to know that if we've fallen short of the glory of God, then Jesus must be a great and glorious Savior. Because it takes a great and glorious Savior to restore us into a relationship with a glorious God, with a holy God. You say, why do you go through all that? Well, here's the question. Why did Paul go through all that? And the reason Paul went through all that is because he wants us to understand the depth of the gospel in light of our sinfulness. And I'm afraid that in our modern American society and church that we live in, we've lost sight of just how sinful we really are. And when you lose sight of how sinful you really are, you also lose sight of how great and glorious he is. 
And so Paul spends a, spends a significant amount of time here in this letter to set the stage for what he's about to say. And that is when you get to chapter 6, where we're at this morning, he begins to talk about sanctification. Not only that you've been saved and that you have a great and glorious Savior, but now he's going to talk about how do you live that out. What do we do with this? And, and notice that this all flows together. There's a logical pattern of thought here. Paul, I think, I think Romans is probably the, it's not probably, it is the greatest theological masterpiece that's ever been written. It is. Now, I want you to think about this. Chapter 6 to 8 talk about our sanctification. That is, how do we live like Christ? How do we live in holiness? How do we live this out in our lives? Here's some things I want you to think about. In chapter 6, Paul lays out some principles. We're going to see some of those this morning. But as you work your way through chapter 6, it's not just about the principles. It's also about surrender. We have been called to surrender who we are based on the principles of truth that we know about ourselves and about Christ. We've been called to surrender ourselves to Him. And that's not a surrender just for salvation. That's a surrender in sanctification to, be, to live and be like Christ. When you move into chapter 7, what we find is he then moves from principles to practice. And in this practice, he focuses on ourselves. How do we control ourselves? What decisions do we make in our sanctification? How do we live this out? How do we filter all of this through our mind and attitudes and emotions to, to live out this holiness and Christ-likeness? And then when you move to chapter 8, the great news is we've not been left alone to do this. There is a power available to us, and that power is available to us by the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who lives and indwells in every believer who has ever come to faith in Christ. And so... That power that we have is a result of the Spirit living in us. And so, in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he lays all of this out as it relates to our sanctification. And the first thing I want you to see in verses 1 to 4 is that we are to walk in the newness of life. We're to walk in it. And you say, now wait a second. If God's the one who sanctified us, if he took us from being a sinner to making us a saint, if he's the one who took us from the old lifestyle of sin and he now puts us in a new lifestyle in Christ, why should we have to do anything? It's a work of God. But yet, all through the New Testament, we are instructed that we have a responsibility to live this out. We must make choices. We must decide how we're going to live this out. Notice the questions that he asks in verse 1. What shall we say then? Now that question comes after he's already set the stage for our sin and our salvation. And now he's coming to this question, so what shall we say then? What do we do with this? That's a question that you and I should be asking ourselves every day of our lives. What do I do with the gospel? How do I live this out today? And then he goes on and asks a second question to expand upon that. And he says, how are we to continue in sin, or are we to continue in sin, that grace may abound? 
See, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. And so the tendency is that we take grace for granted. And we might want to say, well, if grace is available, then why does it matter? And Paul is being very clear here. It matters because God's grace is not just to be taken advantage of. It's not to be taken for granted. It's to be used properly in our lives. And so in verse 2, there's a very emphatic, and I do mean emphatic, response. By no means. Just because you're under grace, just because you have grace upon you, you are not free to live any way you want to live. And the whole point that Paul's making as we unwrap this is that the gospel is sufficient so that you can live this. You can live out the gospel in every area of your life. In verse 3, notice he goes on to ask another question. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That is not the baptism of water, by the way. Water baptism does not save you. Water baptism is simply a response to the gospel in which we are publicly saying that we've put our faith in Christ and that he is forgiven us, he has cleansed us, we now have a relationship with God, and so we want to make that public to the world and to the church, and so we go through water baptism to be obedient to him, and in being obedient to him to say to others, we've been saved. This baptism, in verse 3, is not the baptism of water. It is the baptism that happens at the moment of your salvation when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and makes you a follower of Jesus Christ. When he comes to you and indwells you at that moment, you have been baptized into the body of Christ. You have been baptized into Jesus Christ. It's very important because when you get to verse 4, if we were, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death... Now watch this, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, you're dead to your sin. You have a new life that's in Christ. You're dead to your life of sin. You are alive in Christ, you are alive to God, and you're to walk in that newness of life. And notice that he calls not only upon the baptism, but he calls upon the resurrection of Christ to say to us, if Christ was raised by the glory of God, so can you walk in the newness of life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. There's no uncertainty here. Paul is asserting with certainty that you are to walk in the newness of life because you've been buried with Christ and raised to new life. You're to walk in the newness of life. Now, I want you to think about what Paul said to the Ephesians. And this is part of what we've been covering in the catechism over the last few weeks. Remember what Paul said? Paul said you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Now I suspect 
that if you go down here to the funeral home and you talk to the funeral director, I suspect that they're going to tell you that it doesn't matter if a person's body is brought in 30 minutes after they've died or if it's brought in three days after they've died, both of them are dead. Now, here's our problem. We like to compare ourselves with each other. And instead of looking at the root issue, which is our spiritual deadness, we look at the degradation that takes place, the, 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 um, the wasting away that takes place, and we say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Surely God will accept me. Or on the other hand, we might say, you know, I've, I've lived this life for 50 years. I've been a drunk for 50 years. I, I've gone too far. God would not accept me. Can I remind you this morning that the message of the gospel is not about how degraded you are or how wasted away you are. The message of the gospel is that all of us are spiritually dead. It doesn't matter if we're spiritually dead for three days or 30 minutes. God is concerned about your spiritual deadness, not how degraded you are. So Paul here is saying, you face in some of these lists of sins that you find in Scripture and some of the lists that are there for us, like in Hebrews and Romans and others, they often become identity issues. How often have we heard people say, I'm a drunk, or we say about that person, they're a drunk. I'm an adulterer. Or we might say about someone, they're an adulterer. These become identity issues for us. But here's the message that I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul in what he wrote to the Ephesians and what he's writing here to the Romans is that sin that you were once dead in, you are now dead too. So you can say all you want, I'm a drunk. But if, if you've come to Christ and your faith is in Christ, what Paul is saying to us is you were dead in your drunkenness, but now you are no longer dead in your drunkenness. You are dead to the drunkenness because you're alive in Christ. You can say, I'm an adulterer, but if you have faith in Christ and you've come to Christ, you can no longer say that I'm an adulterer because you are now dead to that sin that you were once dead in. It's an identity issue. So what I want to say to you is one of the first things we have to understand if we're going to walk in this newness of life is our identity in Christ. And quit calling ourselves something that we're not. If you've come to faith in Christ, quit calling yourself a drunk and call yourself a follower of Christ. You're in Christ. If you've committed an adultery, quit calling yourself an adulterer. If you've come to faith in Christ, say who you are in Christ. I am in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. That's the first step in walking in this newness of life, is understanding who you are in Christ. And that's the whole point Paul's making here. You're no longer dead in that sin. You're dead to that sin. And you're alive to God. And so walk in that newness. Walk in it. And then when you get to verses 6 to 11, or 5 to 11, excuse me, what we find here is that you need to consider yourself dead to that sin. And I've already spent some time here, but, but notice what he says in verse 5. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
That resurrection, by the way, is not just the future resurrection in which we will enter into heaven for all of eternity, but that is a resurrection that is a reality now in our inner person. We've been resurrected spiritually. We're no longer spiritually dead. We are now spiritually alive. We know, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Notice what Paul says here. He says, our old self was crucified with him. He does not say, continue to crucify yourself. He does not say you need to crucify yourself daily. He says, you have been crucified. Your old self has been crucified. When Christ died on the cross, he took every sin you would ever commit, past, present, and future, and it was nailed to the cross. That's why when we sing that great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, we can sing that verse that says, My sin not in part, but the whole. Why? Because Christ died for sins that had not even yet been committed because you hadn't been born yet. And yet he died for your sins. And so Paul says, you are crucified. You have been crucified with Christ. You don't need to continually crucify yourself. You don't need to continually. So we're not talking here about spiritual life. We're talking about the fact that we understand that we have life in him, that we don't need to renew that spiritual life every day in terms of getting saved all over again. You don't need to get saved all over again every day. You are saved. You are in Christ. You've been crucified with him. You resurrected with him. And in verse 7, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. If you highlight in your Bible or on your digital digital Bible, I would highlight verse 7. You have been set free from sin. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying you don't have to live this way anymore. You've been set free from it. Do you know what the problem with Israel was when they came out of bondage? That lifestyle of bondage had gotten into them. And so even when they had been set free from the bondage, they still had some struggles because they hadn't fully left that behind. And you'll have some struggles I'm not saying it's going to be perfect the day you come to Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is there's a whole new outlook. There's a whole new mindset. There's a whole new way of living that you can strive for. And we've already seen in, verse, in chapter 6, 7, and 8 that ultimately God has placed his Holy Spirit in you to empower you to be able to do this. You are dead to sin. And you've been set free from sin in verse 7. Verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Pointing to that future time of our glorification when we will live with him forever. And Paul goes on then in verses 9, 10, and 11 to just exclaim this whole point over and over again. You're dead to sin. You're alive to Christ Live like you're alive to Christ and in Christ. So when you come to verse 11, notice the word consider. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Now, there are other translations here that in the place of consider, they would use the word reckon. The word reckon is an accounting term. It's as if you have the books of your life open before you. And there's an accounting taking place. And what you find in that accounting is that who you once were is no longer who you are because Christ has balanced it out for you. Christ has overcome it. Christ has given you a new life. And so we're to consider ourselves, we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So point number one was that we're to walk in the newness of life. Point number two is the way that you begin that is you understand who you are in Christ and consider yourself dead to sin. Then ultimately, in verses 12 to 14, Paul says that we are to present ourselves to God. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, so if we're not to do this, what are we to do? But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, this is not the first time, or the last time, excuse me, that Paul will use this idea of presenting ourselves to God in the book of Romans. When you get to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Everything about our old lifestyle, everything about our sin has been taken care of on the cross. We are now a new creation in Christ, and Paul says live that way. But to do that, you have to present yourself daily on a regular basis, not for salvation, but for the cleansing from the impurities of the world that make you dirty. I'm trusting that all of us here this morning either took a shower last night or before we went to bed or this morning before we came. Why do we do that? Because we understand that in life, these bodies get dirty and we need to daily, on a regular basis, cleanse them from that impurity. The same is true spiritually. We present ourselves to God every day as His instruments of righteousness so that we can be cleansed from the impurities that we may have encountered in the world, not to be saved all over again, but to be cleansed so that we can then live this life He's calling us to live. you come to verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. You're not under law, but under grace. Paul starts with grace in verse 1, and he ends with grace in verse 14. And the whole point of everything he said in between those two points of grace is, don't take it for granted. Understand who you are in Christ. Understand that you're dead to your sin. Understand that you're alive to God. And make those decisions on a regular basis to present yourself to God as his instrument. So let me ask you, 
When was the last time that when you rolled out of bed, the first thing out of your mouth was, thank you, Lord, for a little bit of sleep I got last night. Thank you for giving me another day in this life. You began your day with gratitude, and after you begin your day with gratitude, you then say, and Lord, here am I. Use me today. We should be doing that on a regular basis. Why? Because we're under grace, not under the law, and because we're under grace, we're dead to our sin, and we're alive to God, and we should be living like we're alive to him. Are you doing that? Are you presenting yourselves to him on a regular basis? The whole point of what Paul has said here is that the gospel transforms you and gives you a brand new identity in Christ. And the charge that Paul is making here toward us and to us is go live it. Go live it. You are called to a life of holiness. You're called to a life of righteousness. You're called to a life of justice. You're called to a life that is honoring and worthy of the glory of God. Don't abuse his grace. The gospel is sufficient for you. No matter what issue you're facing in your heart and in your life. Thank you once again for downloading today's podcast of the Sunday Sermon. And once again, if you would just be so kind to rate and comment on this podcast, that will help us to become more discoverable in the podcast universe. And until next week, may God bless you. May you have a great week. Thank you.